Today's Bible reading is Galatians 3, verse 1 to 6. You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. I would like to learn just one thing from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by believing what you heard? Are you so foolish? After beginning by the means of the Spirit, are you now trying to finish by the means of the flesh? Have you experienced so much in vain if it really was in vain? So again, I ask, does God give you his Spirit and work miracles among you by the works of the law or by your believing what you heard? So also Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. This is the word of the Lord. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the way that you speak to us, uh, that you're gracious uh, to reveal yourself to us through your scriptures. And so this evening, uh, we pray that you'll please give us open ears and soft hearts, uh, that they may be fertile soil for what your word has to say. Amen. Amen. there's a cycling documentary that came out about five years ago called The Whereabouts. Has anyone seen it? Probably not. Nah. Cool. That's all right. Uh, so spoiler alerts. Uh, uh, it's not really. It was made by two Aussie blokes, right? Guys, uh, Gus and Lachlan Morton. Gus was an ex-professional cyclist, and he'd quit a few years before, uh, and he hadn't ridden since. And his brother Lachlan was younger than him, but he was a young up-and-coming professional. He was winning like some pretty prestigious races and starting to make a name for himself at the highest level. But just just hated cycling now. Even though he was up-and-coming, doing really well and winning races, he, he hated it. He was over it. Uh, he'd lost his, his love uh, for the sport, right? And he was thinking of going the way of his brother and, and just quitting. And they both had this concern that their love for the sport... Uh, their love for cycling had been compromised by the professionalism of racing. As you can understand, here's what Gus said. He said, sports have been reduced to statistics. The number of yards run for a touchdown, the number of goals kicked in the fourth quarter, the number of watts you put out per kilogram of body mass. And these things remove the larger-than-life elements of sport. So what we've tried to do on this trip, which is this documentary, is re-engage that. We've never raced those distances. We've tried to go down roads and go through places that are far more interesting than the number of watts we're putting out and the speed we're averaging. They're trying to re-engage with the larger of life elements of their sport, right? They had a hunger to find the joy, the excitement, the freedom that every kid has when they get on a bike uh, to explore their surroundings. They wanted to enjoy that again because part of doing it as a career, they'd lost it. And so what did they do? They just went back to where it all began. They got a couple of bikes went home to Port Macquarie and got on the bikes and rode to Uluru, right? As you do. Um, uh, they just went back to where it all began, just that basic love of riding a bike. To recapture the love and the passion, the simplicity of cycling, they just stripped it back and went back to where it all began. And this evening, as we look at Galatians 3, 1 to 6, the question I want you to ask yourself before we begin is, how can I keep the passion for God alive and growing in my life? How can I keep that passion for God alive and growing? And how can I actually grow in my godliness? How can I keep these going? Uh, Because it's hard work. We want to put our sin to death. We want to become more like Jesus. We want the passion and joy that we had at the beginning of our relationship with Jesus. 
Last, last week we heard that we're declared right with God through nothing we've done ourselves. Uh, and, and, and because of that, we have a desire to, to do better and to grow to be more like him. But often, if you're anything like me, it often feels like we're failing, right, and getting stuck. Uh, these sins still linger on in our lives, and it's very frustrating. And so how can I grow in my godliness? And the answer, as it was in that cycling documentary, is to, to think back to where it all began. To think back to where it all began. And so to do this, we're going to um, look at the passage and just ask a number of questions of the passage. And the answers are going to help us to make sense of it, right? And so the first question I'm going to ask, and we answered this last week, so we'll do it quickly, but how can we be made right with God and receive his spirit? How can we be made right with God and receive his spirit? Galatians 3 verse 2, Paul reiterates what we just looked at last week. He says, I would like to learn just one thing from you. Did you receive the spirit by the works of the law or by believing what you heard? And we know the answer is the latter, right? By believing what you heard. And so the Holy Spirit, God's very presence comes to dwell in us uh, when we're made right with God, when we're reconciled to God. And how are we made right with God? Well, uh, we learned it last week, but Paul summarizes it here, not by works of the law, but by believing what you heard. Not by doing, but by faith in what we've heard. What have we heard? Verse 1, it tells us, Galatians 3 verse 1, before your very eyes, Christ Jesus was clearly betrayed as crucified. Jesus died the death we deserve so that we could be made right with God. Should be familiar from what we looked at last week. False teachers, remember, were infiltrating the Galatian churches, saying that Christians had to obey all these Jewish laws to be right with God. And Paul's writing this letter to say that that's rubbish. That's rubbish. That you do not need to obey God's law to be a Christian. And, as we were reminded last week, this is the gospel, the good news. Knowing God is not a list of do's and don'ts. It's a declaration. A declaration of good news. Jesus lived the perfect life you couldn't live, took the punishment that you deserve, and you will be saved, forgiven, made right with God only when you trust Jesus' work on your behalf, not your own feeble efforts. So, made right with God uh, and receive his spirit, not by works of the law, not by trying to be really good, but by faith in Jesus crucified. Let's ask the next question then, uh, which is this. How do you grow as a Christian? How do you grow as a Christian? We're made a Christian through faith. How do you grow as a Christian? Again, Paul answers this by asking a question. 3 verse 3. Are you so foolish? After beginning by means of the Spirit, are you now trying to finish by means of the flesh? Just a note before we go on. Paul uses this idea of Spirit versus flesh on a number of occasions. Uh, it's got the same meaning as faith versus works. It's about trust. What are you trusting? You're trusting your works, your flesh, to make you right with God? Or are you trusting your spirit, your faith, the, sorry, the spirit of God, or faith to make you right with God? Paul's asking a rhetorical question. Even though rhetorical questions don't have answers, uh, the answer is no, right? Uh, if the whole process of salvation started with the spirit, started with faith... Why would you continue by means of the flesh? Let's unpack it a bit more. The second part of uh, verse 3, uh, it says, are you now trying to finish by means of the flesh? Think about that word finish. It's probably better translated to be brought to completion, to make ourselves complete, acceptable, to finish the job that was started. It's something we all strive for, right? Spiritually or relationally or financially or vocationally, to, to take wherever we are and bring it to its completion, to find its fulfilment, to, to like put the full stop there and say, yes, it's done. We want to strive 
to be who we should be. It's a hunger that, as we saw last week, is exhausting. Uh, And when we come to our faith as Christians, many of us believe that it's up to us, it's up to, to you and me to actually become the Christian that we should be. Jesus saved me and now it's on my back to, to live up to that and to make sure I attain to that righteousness that has been declared about me. I don't know if you remember the movie Saving Private Ryan, right? It's from the 90s. Uh, Daniel always pays me out that my examples are all heaps old, right? Um, but it's a good movie. I, I remember being kicked out of it in the cinema watching it because my mates and I were commentating the battle scenes like it was a footy match. Uh, so uh, it was good. But later, like years later, when I was a bit more mature, mature I watched it and, and saw how the movie worked. Anyway... Uh, it's by the by. The premise of this movie uh, is that, that Private Ryan's two brothers had been killed in combat, right? And the military felt sorry for his mum, so they didn't want her third son to die, because, uh, yeah, she wanted at least one left, right? And so they put together a special team of soldiers to save Private Ryan. That's where they get the name of the movie from. Uh, and along the way to save Private Ryan, many of this, like, crack team of special soldiers get killed. Uh, and then... In the closing scene, the leader of the troop, played by Tom Hanks, has located Private Ryan. They found him, right? I'm going to spoil the end of the movie, but don't worry. Um, uh, but, but Tom Hanks has been fatally wounded, and he's dying at the same time that he's found Private Ryan and, and is, is ready to send him home. And, and he grabs him by the lapel and just says to him in a dramatic scene at the end of the movie, earn this, earn it. And then he does like a, 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 a dramatic death, right? Um, so many people have died on this mission to save you, Private Ryan. And so now you need to make up for it. Make it worthwhile. Make it so that these people didn't die in vain, right? Pressure's on, mate. You better go on to do something pretty amazing with your life because we lost a lot of good men to send you home to your mummy. But, but the good news is that Christianity doesn't work like that. We don't have to earn what we've received. Just like becoming a Christian is God's work, so is becoming complete as a Christian, completing the work as a Christian. It's God's work, not ours. Uh, the Spirit works in and through you, if you're a Christian, to equip you for every good deed. Uh, this pastor from America, Dick Kaufman, says this, Christians think that we are saved by the gospel, but then we grow by applying biblical principles to every area of our life. Saved by the gospel, and then to grow, you have to apply biblical principles to every area of your life. But... We're not just saved by the gospel, we grow by applying the gospel to every area of our life, right? We're not just saved by the gospel, we grow by applying the gospel to every area of our life, not biblical principles. We don't grow by applying biblical principles to our lives, but by applying the gospel. We'll see what that means in a moment as we move to an application. Now let's think about the third question, and that's this. How does God's spirit do his work amongst us? How does God's spirit continue to do his work amongst us? Look at verse 5. Paul says, So again I ask, does God give you his spirit and work miracles among you by the works of the law or by believing what you've heard? Again, another question. But let's zoom in on the term work miracles. In this verse, uh, this, this term uh, work miracles refers to the ongoing work of the spirit in the lives of believers and, and in the vicinity of the believers, right? And Paul makes it really clear here that the ongoing work of the Spirit in your life as a Christian and in the community around you is not due to your obedience to the law. But again, by believing what you heard. 
it's important to be reminded of, right? Because just like in Paul's day, from time to time, an ugly false teaching raises its head around us. And this false teaching teaches us that God wants us to be healthy and rich and then any sickness or difficulty in our life is actually due to your lack of faith or some sort of unconfessed sin or something that your mum or dad or grandparents did, right? Uh, Now, look, God can use illness to get our attention and highlight our sin. He can. He's God. He does whatever he wants. But, But we're never told that that's the norm. We're never told that that's how God operates all the time. Uh, And this false teaching uh, reduces God to some sort of genie in a bottle, right? And it preaches that God's grace, mercy and power is is limited by us. That's laughable, right? It's rubbish. It's biblical inaccurate. It it doesn't even match up to our own experience when you see really horrible people who are healthy and rich, right? Uh, It doesn't make any sense. This false teaching is a works-based theology, putting the onus back on us to ensure that we can stay in God's favour through just having enough faith and just being good enough. And I think this verse reminds us of that. Is it because of your obedience that God's going to work in your life and around you? It's because of Jesus' obedience. It's because of your faith in what Jesus has done for you. The point Paul's making is profoundly simple. You're saved by believing in the work of Christ. You continue to grow as a Christian by believing in the work of Christ. You'll be brought to completion through believing in the work of Christ. It was Jesus. It is Jesus. And it's always going to be Jesus that gets us through. It's Jesus plus nothing. And so how do we grow in our Christian life? Well, like we saw earlier, we look back to where it all began. It's the same thing that saved us in the first place. Jesus' life, death and resurrection. It's not a matter of trying harder. But now let's think practically. Are there any clues in this passage as to how to tap into the truth of the gospel and its power to transform our day-to-day lives? And there is. I think you'll be glad to know. Uh, And so I'm going to give you two practical steps that will help you uh, grow as a Christian. The first one is this. Keep painting the story of the cross. Keep painting the story of the cross. Or you can put it this way. Keep preaching the gospel to yourself. Read with me the second part of verse 1. Before your very eyes, Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. I actually thought, yeah, that was good. I I was expecting you to read in your head, but out loud's even better. That's great. I thought there was reverb on my mic. Um, uh, Jesus was portrayed as crucified. Portrayed. Uh, Think of a, a portrait, right? That's what we're meant to think. A picture. Now, Paul, I don't believe, went there and drew a picture of Jesus crucified, Uh, but he told the story. He told a dramatic story that depicted the work of Jesus in their place, a dramatic, beautiful portrayal uh, in verbal form of what Jesus had done for them. And so, for us to be reminded of the gospel power in our lives, we need to continue to repaint, re-portray that picture of Jesus' saving power. We need to preach the gospel to ourselves. And be reminded of what Jesus has already done for us and what he's accomplished on our behalf. So let's remind ourselves of that now. I'm going to read John's account of Jesus' crucifixion. Uh, This is just a part of the whole gospel story, right? But, But as I read it, if you want to close your eyes, allow the story to captivate and move you as you acknowledge that the punishment described in these words... Uh, is the act that makes you acceptable to God. I'm going to read from John 19, uh, verses 16 to 30. Feel free just just to listen. 
soldiers took charge of Jesus. Carrying his own cross, he went out to the place of the skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. There they crucified him, and with two others, one on each side and Jesus in the middle. Pilate had a notice prepared and fastened to the cross. It read, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. Many of the Jews read this sign, for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city, and the sign was written in Aramaic, Latin, and Greek. And the chief priests and the, Jewish, uh, and the Jews protested to Pilate, do not write the King of the Jews, but that this man claimed to be the King of the Jews. Pilate answered, what I've written, I've written. And the soldiers crucified Jesus. They took his clothes dividing them into four shares, one for each of them, with the undergarment remaining. This garment was seamless, woven in one piece from top to bottom. Let's not tear it, they said to one another. Let's decide by lot who will get it. This happened that the scripture might be fulfilled that they divided my clothes among them and cast lots for my garment. So this is what the soldiers did. Near the cross of Jesus stood his mother, his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Clopas and Mary Magdalene, when Jesus saw his mother there and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to her, Woman, here is your son. And to the disciple, here is your mother. From that time on, this disciple took her into his home. Later, knowing that everything had now been finished, finished, and now that scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I am thirsty. And a jar of wine vinegar was there. So they soaked a sponge in it put the sponge on a stalk of the hyssop plant and lifted it to Jesus' lips. When he had received the drink, Jesus said, it is finished. With that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. I need to be reminded that the death explained and written there is one that was done, died in our place. It is finished. The work is completed. Jesus has done it. And so how do we grow in our Christian faith? We grow by keep preaching the gospel to ourselves, continuing to paint the story of the gospel. And you might want to do that by regularly reading the Bible. That's a good start, right? Uh, And regularly diving into the gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, to see the story of Jesus and the life of what he's done. Uh, To jump into the Bible and, and saturate yourself in the truth that you are saved through the work of Jesus, not through your own merit. So you keep on painting that work of the cross. But secondly... Uh, you want to apply the gospel to every area of your life. We mentioned this before. You want to apply the gospel to every area of your life. We don't grow by applying biblical principles to our lives, but by applying the gospel to our lives. And there's a big difference. Uh, applying biblical principles means we're going to read God's word as law and instruction, and then through our own strength and through a bit of elbow grease, try to live by it. Uh, To apply the gospel to every area of our lives is to be reminded that Jesus has paid the penalty for all our sin and has made us right with God. So once we've repainted that gospel story to ourselves, we need to apply it to our lives. Tim Keller, in his book uh, on Galatians, has a great suggestion. Uh, Knowing the gospel is an understanding that Jesus is our saviour, the one who makes us complete and whole, He identifies that actually all sin comes from trusting in a different saviour instead, that he'll call a functional saviour. We trust in something else to make us complete and whole. For the the Jewish Christians in in Galatians, it was trusting in the law. And for us, we may be trusting another functional saviour 
to make us complete and whole. And this is what he says about it. This is what we need to do. We need to be repenting for the self-righteousness and the lack of rejoicing in the finished work of Christ. It's not a matter of just trying harder, but to repent of the self-righteousness and lack of rejoicing in the finished work of Christ when we look for other ways to fulfill us and to make us whole and to complete us as a Christian or as a person. So let's think through some examples, right? Uh, Some examples of different struggles we may have in our lives and what that functional saviour may be. Uh, I've just got three. Think of lust. Maybe lust is a struggle. Maybe it comes from a desire to be loved. Loved is your, is your uh, functional saviour. Right? If you think I could just be loved, then life's going to be good. Well, when we repaint the picture of the cross, we're reminded that we're beautifully and wonderfully loved by the creator of the universe. We stop trusting sex as our functional saviour to feel loved and trust in the finished work of Jesus instead. Maybe think of something like alcohol or drugs. Uh, this could come from a desire for peace or escape We all need that, right? Uh, And when we remind ourselves of the cross, uh, we we see that Jesus has come to give us peace. Uh, Peace that surpasses all understanding by reconciling us with God and promising us a day where we will be free from all stress and all heartache. And we stop trusting in the functional saviour of alcohol uh, to trust in the finished work of Jesus, the one who brings us peace. Maybe it's greed. Uh, It could come from a desire to be in control or to look good. Uh, and then when we remind ourselves and repaint this picture of the cross, uh, we'll, we'll see that we have significance. Uh, not because of how much we can earn or how good we look in our awesome car or great suit or whatever, but because of the finished work of Christ. We stop trusting in this functional saviour of uh, money or of control or of significance and trust in the finished work of Christ the one who gives us eternal significance by saying the Father, the creator of all, loves you and has sent his son to die for you. So we're reminded of two things, to constantly preach the gospel to ourselves, uh, to remind ourselves uh, of the work that Jesus completed on our behalf. And then we're called to repent of our functional saviours and trust in Jesus. It was Jesus, it is Jesus, and it always will be Jesus. Uh, And this is the way to battle sin, not to try harder, but to continue to preach the gospel to yourself and saturate your life in it. In a moment, the band's going to get up to pray. We're going to be doing a new song, which uh, is called King of Kings. The words of this song are really going to help us paint a picture uh, of the gospel. It tells the beautiful story vividly uh, to remind us of the finished work of Christ, right? Uh, and so as we sing that, it's new, and you may just want to watch the words and listen to the band, uh, but, the, but, the, the, but the words will help guide you through a remembrance of this gospel truth. But before that, as the band plays, uh, you'll have a chance to reflect. There's going to be a question on the screen, just for two minutes, uh, to think about what are those functional saviours in your life and how can reminding yourself of the gospel help you to re-trust in Jesus. As always, there'll be a chance later at the front uh, to to come and pray with myself or some other elders. Uh, Take this time to reflect on this question uh, after I pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that it was Jesus, it is Jesus, and it always will be Jesus. So we're made right with you because of what he has done and when we trust in Jesus' work, not in our own. Help us to remind ourselves constantly of the beautiful truth of the gospel uh, and help us in the knowledge of your gospel 
uh, to put to death these functional saviours in our lives and to trust in Jesus and only Jesus for our completion. We pray it in his mighty name. Amen. Please take two minutes to reflect on this question.